the faith of the Son is the only way to live in fellowship with God, and the faith of the Son can only be acquired by faith in the Son. And so the gospel, the crucifixion, becomes that that thing that awakens and opens our eyes, spiritually speaking. We can look on him. And in looking on him, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, that we look, we see him, right? And, and with unveiled face, we look at him. And in looking at his glory, we are transformed into the same image from, from glory to glory. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we're seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. I'm Kent. And I'm Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Good morning. Hey. We're in a series called According to Scripture, and we've been exploring the gospel as it's prefigured in the Old Testament. And we're on, I think, lesson 15 today. Wowzers. Episode 15, Lifted Up. That's today's title, Lifted Up. Good. The Bronze Serpent. Ooh, as means to a healing recognition of sin. So what is it we're going to talk about today, Nathan? Bronze serpent? Mm, yeah, it's a legless lizard. <clears throat> That's a thing. Do you mm-hmm. know that? Legless lizards are a thing? They're yeah. not snakes. Right. Yeah. Uh, you mean a snake is not a legless lizard? It's, right. It's, a, le- it's... a legless lizard is a thing, though. There are uh, legless lizards. I just saw that uh, oh, oh. the other day. I well, that was a reference to a snake. Well, no, no, no. No, they're actual lizards that don't have legs, and they are not snakes. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> see how so. In, in this case, we're talking about a snake. Um, not a hundred percent clear what it was. I'm, I'm assuming it was just venomous snakes that uh, struck the children of Israel in the wilderness as some judgment, I guess, for their complaining. And um, yeah, what did that have to do with anything? Right? That was kind of a, a weird episode. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to look at why why that was the case, why that happened. Um, and its significance for us as we contemplate the gospel. So the, the episode takes place in Numbers 21. Uh, so we're going to go there. We're going there now. We need a producer. Does anybody want to be a producer and get up real early and look this stuff up for us? That'd be great. <laughs> we're, we're hiring a producer. It pays exactly one cup of coffee. Numbers 21 is the story. Yes. Of the bronze snake. The bronze snake, just five or six verses is all there is to it. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Nice. So... Yeah. <laughs> now, this is a strange story, and we should talk about it. Yeah. And we should talk about how Jesus referred to this. 
And I think that's what we're about today, isn't it? It is what we're about. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So people, be curious, be very curious. Jesus made a reference to this, and it's in a very prominent place in the Bible. Yes, yeah, yeah. You probably recognize the verse, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you? Now, before we get there, though, I'd I'd like to just mention a couple of things. One, um, they they ask that uh, Moses would pray that the Lord would take the snakes away. The Lord sent the snakes. Yeah. And they asked, and they recognized that the Lord sent the snakes mm-hmm. and that it was on account of their guilt. Yeah. And they asked Moses to pray that the Lord would take the snakes away. Right. But uh, what did the Lord do? The Lord told Moses to put a snake on a pole. Yeah. And have the people look at it. Yeah. And if they would do that, then they would be healed. Right. They didn't even ask to be healed. <laughs> you know, the people who'd been bitten, I guess they were just toast as far as the people were concerned. They were mm. just like, um, you know, I hey, it's bad for him, but, it, you know, the, the risk of being bitten is is what I'm concerned about right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what they asked was that the snakes be taken away from them. And um, instead, instead, God makes this, has Moses make this ensign of um, this punishment, like it, it's a strange thing to do um, if you wanted to announce that healing was available, let's say. So let's say <clears throat> you're Pfizer and you want people to have the vaccine mm-hmm. and you make a big old coronavirus ball and you light it up and you stick it up in the sky mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. telling people, come come be vaccinated. Come right. right. <clears throat> I don't know. It seems like bad branding to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if Pfizer made their, um, just their logo, the uh, a coronavirus vaccine, you know. Yeah. Um, we, we probably wouldn't do that. I mean, we know what it looks like. We're fascinated with it. But if you wanted people to associate your efforts with healing and deliverance, you wouldn't make a depiction of the disease itself. Mm. Um, and so that's what sounds, it's always sound, sounded strange to me that that the response, that the way that the people would be healed would be to look upon this depiction of the thing they were suffering from. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that <clears throat> that they wanted, what they wanted was for that thing to be Remove from them altogether. That's mm-hmm. the answer. Mm-hmm. Let's just get this away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry. Get it away. Right. Um, but that's not what's done. There is this uh, memorial, really kind of this inescapable symbol of their sin, their rebellion, but also its punishment. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, God wanted Moses to put this thing up on a pole. Mm-hmm. So it always seems strange it. to me, like idolatrous or pagan or yeah. something. It doesn't seem like something that the one God who says, "Let says have no other gods before me," doesn't seem like something that God would do because right. it feel has those to me has those overtones. Yeah, of paganism. Right. Yeah, and they. Uh, <clears throat> well, you know, the reason for that prohibition against images is not that God has a problem with um, statuary, <laughs> you know? And I think that, like m- most other things about the Judeo-Christian tradition that Islam gets wrong, you know, Islam is against depictions in art and in uh, sculpture of people. 
or anything except for like, I don't know, recurring patterns, um, <clears throat> which is, I, I think, too bad. But at any rate, the, the concern with uh, over idolatry is this attempt to approximate God in some way, to envision him where, you know, he is, as we talked about last time, he's holy, he's transcendent, he's incomparable. So any attempt to depict him visually would be to, in and of itself, misrepresent him. And so that's why these uh, depictions were always prohibited and why it's okay to have a crucifix today, because that's not uh, a misrepresentation, except that Jesus is, you know, Western European white, you know, that's something, but that God is, God means to represent himself as a man dying on a pole, and here we are, mm-hmm. right? Uh, not that uh, any of this somehow sanctions or mandates the use of the crucifix, because I don't think that that's, we're not supposed to necessarily use our physical eyes to look upon Jesus as if we could, but that there is a, a looking up, a looking upon that is required for healing. Um, and that the way that that's accomplished is by putting it on a pole and lifting it up. So uh, you want to read that John 3, John 3.16, but the, the context, John 3.16 in context, mm-hmm. yeah. So starting with verse 10. Sure. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Yeah. So no one's ever gone into heaven except the one who's come out of heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, Well, what about Enoch and Elijah? (laughs) Right? So here I am, I'm being that I'm being that difficult student in class, and Jesus the rabbi is teaching, and I'm like, but Jesus, you know, what about these two guys? They got to go. And what about Moses? I mean, there's a debate as to whether he died or whether he was translated. Um, and, and I think that Jesus is speaking of this third heaven, this place where God's throne is. Like in Revelation, there's this depiction of all this, this heavenly reality, right, and all these people and beings, and yet there's this throne that seems to be uh, high and lifted up, and that there's, God seems to inhabit it alone, and yet this lamb is escorted directly into the throne, right? So Jesus is, uh, is talking about, in the book of John, and here's what's difficult, I think, about John is is because it seems like such a simple book. His syntax and his word choices are so simple, and yet his concepts are so multi-layered and complex that, you know, it's deceptively simple. It's a very definition of deceptively simple. Uh, and so when Jesus in John is saying the Son of Man must, you know, must be lifted up, well, there's this... Um, 
he's really alluding when he, when he uses the term son of man it, it occurs just a couple of times in scripture um ezekiel is referred to that way um many times throughout his book um and yet outside of ezekiel there's just a couple of references to that phrase son of man um and so jesus says that no one has ascended into heaven except the son of man who came down from heaven so in Daniel, or in Daniel 7, we get this vision of, um, it says that in Daniel seven thirteen, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, mm-hmm. coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his very presence, right? So that's, Jesus is saying, now, that's new, okay? That's something that has never been done. Um, and and who could ever, who could ever go there? I mean, really, throughout Scripture, the idea that someone would be in the immediate presence of God, even as he's manifesting himself here on earth, would be fatal. Mm-hmm. But here's somebody who's being led right in, and it says he was given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language. What? Worshipped him. Oh my goodness! Who is this? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. I thought there was I'm one just, God. I'm flabbergasted. I'm just. I'm astonished. Why would you say this? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you stinking pagan. Right. His his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Who could this son of man be? Um, and then you get into Psalm eight, and you get this mention of God. Right. How majestic is your name? But he's the one who who lowers himself, right? He's he's a God who who's majestic above all the earth. He set his glory above the heavens, but out of the mouth of babies and infants, yeah. So then it, it speaks of this of this kind of what I would say the journey of the Son of Man when he says, uh, "What is man that you're mindful of him?" In verse four. Okay, so I think that's humankind and the son of man. Okay, so wait, who's the son of man? It's not mankind, it's, a, it's an individual, right? You have made him in the Hebrew. It's single, you know, it's, it's, a per, it's um, the singular ver, uh, pronoun. You made him lower than the heavenly beings. And crowned him with glory and honor. So it seems, especially from reading Hebrews, that... The book of Hebrews re- looks to Psalm 8. It looks sees to Psalm the, 8. sees Jesus in that. It sees a journey, yes. And so humankind is represented by this individual who is made a little lower than the heavenly beings, who is crowned with glory and honor. Mm-hmm. Right? And so John, is as, as Jesus, and I, I assume it's Jesus who's teaching the, the Tanakh, right? He, the whole thing. And, and he's weaving all this together, but he's, he's really in, inspiring John through his Holy Spirit to, to bring this to fore. And so when Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who came out of heaven, he's evoking this Son of Man um, phrase. Son of Man is, is what we're looking for. We're looking for a Messiah. We're looking for him to be led into the presence of God mm-hmm. and to rule but I don't even know if the Jewish people would have had such aspirations that this man would be worshipped by people, right? That this isn't just anybody, that there's not somebody who's going to um, 
be so worthy as to go through this apotheosis that there's no such thing as a, as a one-way trip from earth to heaven. That there can only be a two-way, a round trip from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. Okay, and that's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is he's saying, look, I'm, I'm going to be exalted, but only after I reach the bottom of this trip. You know, um, and... And that would come, I think, in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, really. Uh, in while we're not given the specifics of Gethsemane in the Book of John, that there's that surrender, that submission, the betrayal, all of that is kind of the low point. Whereas Jesus would begin to depict the cross as an exaltation, that he's he's going to be lifted up. Um, beginning with the cross and so you know you get to john 12 and he says you know when you've when you've lifted up the son of man you know you're gonna say or now it's time for the son of man to be glorified now the prince of this world is being judged um and then he says a grain of wheat when it falls to the ground if it doesn't die it remains alone if it dies it produces many seeds so he's obviously when he says i'm going to be glorified he's obviously speaking of his exaltation, right? So there's a, a double entendre in John 8. He says, when you've exalted the Son of Man, when you've lifted him up. So for Jesus, Jesus in the book of John is, is looking to this, um, this return trip. As he's, as he's come to the very lowest parts of earth, uh, and now the return trip begins actually for him with the cross, with this being lifted, mm -hmm. you know, um, from the earth, and that actually uh, is a reference to Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13 through, mm, you want to read through see, 13 and 14? See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> That's powerful. Uh, especially in light of Isaiah 53, you know, the, the whole, the rest of the servant's song and the, the suffering that the, the suffering servant goes through, right? Mm -hmm. Notice he's saying he's going to be lifted up. Mm-hmm. And what does Jesus say? Right, when you've lifted me up, he, he says, as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so I will be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Right. So this Son of Man reference referring to this one like a, a son of man mm -hmm. who comes with the clouds of heaven and who goes into God's presence and is crowned with glory and honor and authority right. and dominion. Mm-hmm. That one must be lifted up. Right. And that this, this lifting up is a revelatory moment because it says they, uh, that the kings will shut their mouths because of him. What they were not told, they will see. We're talking about the, the Gentile world, the people who don't know the Torah. Hmm. They're going to see. They're going to hear. They're going to understand. That this lifting up is this this moment that it stops the debate, it silences the dialogue, 
God alone speaks in that moment uh, through the exaltation of this Son of Man. Mm-hmm. When we look on the cross, just like with the serpent, we see the definitive judgment of God. That in that moment, there is both the utter depiction of human depravity, right? But also, and and of God's wrath against human depravity and our essential uh, rebellion against him. But then there is also the symbol or the ensign of, of pure grace. You know, uh, Paul speaks of how the grace of one man, you know, um, it, it evokes God reaches down. It, it, the, the, the cross is Jesus on behalf of humankind reaching up in grace. That short little distance, that those eight or nine feet, mm-hmm. and God reaching back, taking hold not of not just of Christ but of all humankind. Because I uh, because Psalm eight is this. It is as the author of Hebrews says. It's it's um, this depiction of humankind created for a purpose and yet needing this representative who is who is brought into a humble state and then exalted and bringing us with him because the even crazier notion is that somehow because of what Christ has done this you know in uncrossable divide will be spanned that somehow these creatures will be welcome into the immediate presence of the divine. That the highest holiness, uh, you know, that the, this place that is, that is unbreachable, right, will now be cast open and humankind will be brought in and not just as visitors but as permanent residents um, that's that's a madness, really. Compared, you know, if you look at the rest of Scripture, it's the very notion that you would have just a theophany and survive it. Uh, you know, God shows up on a mountain and all this smoke and fire and everything, but you know, surely we don't think that was the fullness of the divine essence, right? This is this is a theophany. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a big one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But they're not even supposed to be like touch the mountain, you know. Only Moses is allowed to come up, but through Christ, you know, and this is how he's better than Moses, through Christ now everybody everybody gets to come on, you know, and not just to a mountain, as the author of Hebrews makes, you know, makes the point. He says, you've not been brought to an earthly mountain and a voice and trumpets, but to the very presence of God, to, you know, the spirits of, of just people made perfect and all of that. So that is our our destiny kind of a big deal um you want to put well uh, you want to read uh, romans 3 i think i yeah. think paul has given us kind of why how they how these all connect how okay. the the serpent and the crucifixion connect okay romans three twenty one. but now paul says apart from the law the righteousness of god has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify 
the righteous, this righteousness is given through the faith of Jesus Christ to all who believe. Mm. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus or those who have the faith of Jesus. Yeah. Um, I'm not so sure which both. it is right there. I think there maybe that it's faith in there Jesus. It's in, yeah. So, I mean, it's not that we don't need faith in Jesus, but faith in Jesus produces the faith of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why it's from faith to faith. Um, in this case, he's just got them reversed, right? But that's <laughs> so not what you came here to talk to us about. No, today. but it's good stuff. Yeah. You so were focusing on that middle part. What do you part? think it is? Yeah, God what, presented Christ. Yes. Yeah. And so that word presented, it, it has to do with to set up as a placard or an ensign. It does come from this notion of public executions. You know, why did, why was there such a thing as the cross? I mean, yes, it was an agonizing death, but, you know, give me a dungeon and lots of dental equipment and, uh, you know, we can probably get the same thing done in private, you know, um, but that wouldn't be a presentation. Here, Paul right. describes it as a presentation. God is presenting Christ, sort of public presentation. Yeah. Yeah, that there's something about that, that there's this out in the open. So even for, even to the eyes of those who've never seen it, our, our spiritual eyes, as we envision that in our mind, that there is an, an unwritten revelation of God to those who hear this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it portrays, as Paul says, it portrays God's righteousness, right? Yeah. It demonstrates God's righteousness. Yeah. And so this, this is what's ironic and, um, odd about it because this was, you know, this wasn't just like for anybody, this would have been a horrific end, right? Like Mm -hmm. for your family to watch you up there dying for days um, in public shame, you know, naked people walking by encouraged to pile on to you and, and all of that, that, that it's just a horrific end that would, I think have caused everybody to take what the Romans said seriously. Uh, and I think that that was probably the one reason for it. Um, but it also becomes this means of God revealing himself. And so Jesus refers to it as, and he's pinging off of Isaiah as an exaltation, (laughs) you know? Uh, And so that's a, it's a very strange thing. It, It does speak to the upside down values, I suppose, of humankind and of this world as we are seeking this apotheosis. We want to start at the bottom and claw our way to the top. And in so doing, reveal our glory. That's the pattern of humankind, right? Um, and inevitably, then we enter into a time of decline. So, if you could think about that, we, you know, like a mountain peak mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. So we rise and then fall, right? 
at, at, at our best. Right. You know, yeah. yeah. Some people I, never rise. Some, some people, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mole Hill, like bump. Okay. Right. It did. Yeah. Right. I peaked in high school. Um, but Jesus, you know, he comes, he says, I, I, no, I couldn't go where I'm going unless I'd come from where I've come from. Right. Hmm. And so his whole life is, is a descent mm-hmm. and then a, um, an exaltation. So he's flipped the, Flip the pattern. And uh, we get to, you know, John the Baptist comes and he says, it's, it's for this reason that I came to came baptizing to testify to, you know, him who's coming. So what was it about the act of baptism that was a symbol or a testimony to the coming of Christ? Well, a baptism is a, is a, is a descent mm-hmm. followed by an emergence arising. Yes. Exactly. And John's saying, this is the shape. You know, this is what you need to see. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, you come, be humbled. Mm-hmm. You know, put yourself in someone else's hands. Be pushed into mortal peril. Mm-hmm. You know, and then be pulled back up. Mm-hmm. Man, it's a powerful image. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something we take for granted. And by the way, I, you know, I think that if we... Somebody had ever seen that in the old, you know, in the Middle Ages. If we if we'd gotten away from this idea that it's all about some sort of a cleansing from original sin, and we realize that there's so much more to it, I don't think we would have ever come up with the notion of of sprinkling or pouring, mm-hmm. because it doesn't have that shape. It, you know, it, it it occurs so early in life. You know, uh, people aren't given the opportunity to find that humility, uh, that end of themselves. But uh, in Deuteronomy 21, you want to read 22 through 23 there? If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Yeah. Wow. So it, this was this was so egregious that it could potentially have polluted the land, right? Whereas Rome would put people, you know, crucified slaves or whatever in an uprising, they would just be along the roadside and brought until they fell off. Um, they weren't as concerned with their aesthetic, I suppose, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But for the Jewish people, that, that, that this wasn't just a physical torture, but it was um, it was a spiritual punishment. Yeah, I mean, mm. to think if you were a Jewish person and you hoped to live your life for Yahweh and if whatever concept they had of the afterlife, um, to die really as cursed by Scripture. Wowzer, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, you think about um, Muslim martyrs, say truck bombers and stuff like that. You know, what, what's the great appeal there? You're going to go out on top for, for a Jewish person to be crucified. You know, uh, it's hard to imagine something, something worse. Because know? of that prohibition. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, just In that declaration, you're under God's curse, not mm-hmm. just the Romans' curse, but it's like the Romans are administering 
God's like curse. curse from God. Yeah, mm-hmm. what a what a horrific thing to have happen. And and why would you know why else would it have been so ghastly? Like if Paul says, "Hey, I'm preaching the word of the cross," mm-hmm. and I know I know it's hard to hear, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but he he sees it as um, a revelation. Of something more. Mm-hmm. So do you want to read Galatians 3, 10 through 14? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because, quote, the righteous will live by faith, end quote. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, quote, the person who does these things will live by them, end quote. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Amen. It's good stuff. So here he's quoting Deuteronomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So this is a, yeah, he's quoting that he's, and he's saying Jesus has taken that place. So if we think about sin as, and everything that happens to us in this life as negative things that are product of the fall, you know, this curse of the sweat of your brow and, you know, death and pain and, and all of this. Um, and Jesus is taking that onto himself. And, and yet, if if it if he weren't held up there, I, I think that we would minimize our own sin, because that's always our tendency, is to take forgiveness as um, really minimizing our offenses. It and that's what's dangerous, I think, about saying about losing this notion of the atonement and of propitiation, is that we begin to minimize sin, um, and. So how do you do that if you're God? <laughs> how do you accomplish this atonement and retain this serious posture toward sin? I mean, in Romans 3, where we just read, he says that he might become just and the justifier. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. The ju- just and the justifier. God, on the one hand, he wants to be the justifier. He wants to justify, make us righteous, deal with right. our, you know, bring us up. But he also needs to maintain his justice, his righteousness. Right. Yeah. And and so there, if he were to just forgive it out of hand or to minimize it in some way, then we would see that you know, we we would interpret that as him being soft on sin, right? <laughs> or and we would come really to despise him or to be casual toward him. And I. I challenge anybody to show me that that's different. Like I, the people who would say that, that there is no atonement or propitiation, that there's no, you know, that Christ didn't have to suffer for God's sake. Um, then I, I don't see a lot of seriousness about this reverence for God that to me, it seems that that begins to slide into a more casual depiction of God as, as a very benign person, 
but also one that's probably not worthy of all worship. that divine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, somebody that you would like to hang out with, somebody who's positive, you know, um, Jesus, you know, the image of Jesus right, we have, right? But Jesus didn't come to draw us to Himself; He came to draw us to the Father, um, and and to span that divide. And remember, that divide remains as as uncrossable as ever. God has not diminished one iota. You know, God didn't over, didn't exaggerate His holiness in the Old Testament to pull back on it in Jesus. You know, Jesus is approachable, yes, but God remains the same. And it is that approachability of Jesus that um, pulls us into our destiny before God, who is who remains just as holy. You know, um, so Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, you know, woe to me, <laughs> I'm undone, right? Uh, that's what God's presence is like. Does that sound like someplace you want to spend eternity? You know, where you're just basically your skin's on fire <laughs> from your own from your own uh, evil, mm-hmm. from your uh, awareness of your own evil. Relatively, is that where you want to be? Does that sound like a nice place? I mean, you know, if if all you're doing throughout the long ages is woe is me, <laughs> you know, that's a problem that needs to be solved. Yes, it's a problem right. that God's holiness paired with our rebellion that needs to be solved. And it's not solved through diminishing God. Um, and so that's, you know, that's my, that's my concern, but I, it's why that there's this, this lifting up because, because we're being called to turn our eyes above this world. You know, we, what we would like to do is pull God down, have him hang out in our living room, you know, be approachable, be a regular guy, you know, and yet he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling you up. You know, I'm insisting that you come above the world, that you look above the world, um, to where I am. And so that's, that's the redemption. If, if God isn't lifting us up, then we have to look around and say, not that bad. Yeah, <laughs> that tweak here, a little paint there, it'll be fine, you know. And we miss the fact that there's something just so fundamentally broken and wrong down here uh, that needs complete redemption. And so that's that's what I would say. Um, now, what about this? Jesus became a curse for us. So why is Jesus not accursed? <laughs> you know. Um, why is he not accursed? Right. Yeah. I mean, he became a curse, right? The, the law says, and the law mm-hmm. can't be broken. He mm-hmm. became a curse for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say the, that he is not accursed because uh, he wasn't under the law. So, yes, he can become a curse for us because he um, was not subject to that. Like, he, he could do it on our behalf. Okay. He fulfilled the law. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and was therefore beyond the law, right? And therefore, when he died on the cross, did not suffer the curse of the law himself, right? For himself, but rather for us, right? Yeah. So in Romans five, uh, and here's Paul. He's kind of you know he's he's contrasting Adam and Jesus, and he's pivoting them around Moses, 
Okay, so you know he's saying everybody the sin reigned or death reigned from the time of Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. And we've made a point that sin isn't just breaking a command because obviously that you know people that wouldn't have been true. Okay, but uh, but he says Adam is the type of the one to come. He says the gift is not like the trespass. For if uh, the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, mm-hmm. right? And Jesus Christ overflow to the many. And so there's this, Jesus is not operating as, as we see him, Jesus of Nazareth, from the time of his baptism on. He's not operating under the law, which is why he's able to blow off the Sabbath and make everybody mad and all that, right? He's operating under the principle of grace. And um, he is, in going to the cross, this isn't obedience, right? He's contrasting uh, Adam's disobedience with Jesus' grace, okay? So yes, it was obedience. It was the Father's will, but it was also his will. That Jesus, in his love for us, it's not just that he's being somehow forced or coerced, that he had something to gain uh, through the cross except for his, his deep love for us and our being with him. We are his reward. But it is out of, it is out of this grace, which is how the cross becomes not just the ensign of our sin like and the judgment, like with the serpent, but it also becomes the depiction and the ultimate symbol of grace. Mm-hmm. And, the, and grace as in uh, generous gift. Yes, mm-hmm. right. And it is this um, something that is not obligatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, did Jesus, you know, if Jesus had to, then, um, then maybe it was a curse if he had no choice in the matter. Um, but because it wasn't obligatory. And so, you know, John says that we have seen his glory, right? Glory is the, of the one and only who come from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, if Jesus hadn't come from the Father, then it would have, then he wouldn't have been able to choose to go to the cross, right? Um, because he's God. <laughs> if he goes to the cross, it's got to be his choice. Nobody's going to actually make him go to the cross. He's mm-hmm. not going to be tricked into going to the cross. He's not going to be forced to go to the cross. It's got to be a moment of grace, and it is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and yet it is also the final and the complete uh, revelation of our sin. And so uh, in Romans 8, it says that, you know, he's. why was the law there? You know, the law is there to restrain sin to some degree on a, on a social, national level. Right. But it, on a personal level, the law had a purpose. You know, uh, if you came up in, in an Israelite society and, you know, you don't casually throw the name of God around. Well, you know, what is that teaching you? You know, that you, you just don't goof around with God. Um, you mean the law that says don't take the Lord's name in vain? Right, yeah. Is there to serve not, that purpose? Yeah, yeah, but if your uncle got stoned to death when you were 10, uh-huh. <laughs> and it was because he had, you know, he had uh, casually said the, the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right, you know, are you thinking, yeah, maybe this God's cool. Maybe he and I are, we could hang out. Or are you thinking, you know, I'm just going to toe the line here. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to wonder. Now, if the and if the law is also problematic, if it incites sin, and if it creates barriers between people, how do you ever get rid of it? If it's serving an essential function. If if and that essential function is don't be you know don't trifle with God. So what do you do? You know how do you move ahead without the law? We need the law, and yet the law brings curse. Right, it brings a curse and division. You know, as we talked about last mm-hmm. time, it's this wall of hostility that Paul called it, and it um, awakens this law of death. Mm-hmm. Right, it Romans gives, seven. It gives the law of sin the ability to kill us and bring about the law of death mm-hmm. and split us as people. So the law is very problematic, and yet it's serving a critical function. How do you move ahead? And it's problematic, as Paul says here, that it's because of the weakness of the flesh, because of our sinfulness, right. that the yeah. law is, a, is problematic. Right. Nothing wrong with the law itself, but in when applied to a sinful society, it causes further issues, uh-huh. right? So how do we retain the notion of God's holiness, but get rid of the negative effects of a holy law imposed on us. Okay. How do we? How do we? Is the answer right here in the Bible? It is right here in the Bible (laughs) in uh, Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Wow, okay. So what's going on there, Kent? All right, so there's this the, law yeah. that is um, is the law of sin and death. Yes. And we need to be set free from it. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament law was powerless to do that. Yeah. Weakened by the flesh. Right. God, therefore, sent his own son mm-hmm. as a human to be a sin offering, to bear the curse yes. for us. Mm-hmm. Under the law, those who mm-hmm. those of us who are under the law, he bore that curse for us. He condemned yes. sin in his death. Mm-hmm. So he removed sin, yes, which is the power of the law, right? Right. Yeah. He. I mean, what does condemnation do to us? Right. It it indicts us, but it also sentences us. Like it's our end. <laughs> okay. So there's this this guilt and shame. This is indictment, but there's also the beginning of the end. That's how Paul depicts condemnation, okay? That there's an undoing, a uh, death row kind of a component to this thing. So, you know, not only are you there with some placard that says offender, but you're dying as well. Does that sound familiar? Uh Uh-huh. You know? So that there's, what is the cross? The cross is this shame. It is an indictment on you, but it is also the means of your end. Uh Uh-huh. Okay? Right. And, and now Paul is saying that 
what the law was trying to do, what the law, well, let's say trying is like, as though it failed, but as the, what the law is, is made for is to condemn sin. But because sin was resident in our flesh, it came to condemn us, <laughs> right? So there has to be a very surgical maneuver that somehow condemns sin, but not us. Mm. Okay. How is that accomplished? We, we know it can't be accomplished through the prohibition of sin. All that does is it actually exacerbates the problem, right? It, it reveals just how sinful we are, that we just can't let it go, mm-hmm. even under the pain of death. So what does God do, right? He, he puts his son on a pole. He lifts him up, it, just like with that snake, where the, there had to be this acknowledgement, okay, that, that, I, that this is a judgment from God, that I deserve it, and that he's the only one who can heal me. Yeah, uh, that's what looking upon the snake is an acknowledgement of our guilt and of the righteousness of God's punishment. And whereas they were like, we don't want to see these snakes anymore. Get them out of here. You know, everybody that's bitten, that's fine. They're dead. I don't want to see them. Get them away. I don't, I don't want to encounter one. Isn't right. that what we want? We right, want right. clean religion. We just want to go to heaven when we die. Right, yeah. Right? I don't want to we think just... about sin. I don't yeah. want to be confronted with my sin, with uh-huh. God's judgment on me. Just move it away. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, okay? I said I was sorry. Isn't that enough? And God's like, no, you got to face no. it. Go look at it. Look mm-hmm. at it. Okay? I'm going to put it on a pole. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that's critically important. So he condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus, in the body of Jesus. Right. He yes. condemned sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you look, John 3, Jesus, he says, The Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life, for God sent his one and only Son, or his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him. Now, what is Jesus, the Son of Man or the Son of God? He was the son of man in verse 15. Yes. And now he's God's son yes. in verse 16. Mm-hmm. So God sent his son into the world. So the son of God came into the world and became the son of man <laughs> mm-hmm. and is lifted up, right? Um, so that everyone, those who were not told will see and those who have not heard will understand. So they will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Yeah, that this is a revelation, the ultimate revelation of God. But it's why, for me, you know, I and I make this point, and it sounds heretical, but I keep making it because I, I think the other is heretical. And the point I'm making is that the Bible is not the revelation of God, not the final revelation of God. The gospel is. Okay, it's critical to know that because from a practical standpoint, just like Paul said, the law is holy, you know, I'm sure people thought and they did, and they really wanted to kill him for it, that but Paul was being heretical in in saying the things he said about justification. Okay. Um, and yet nowadays people would will drum you out of their fellowship or whatever if you say a similar thing about the New Testament. But we can't have it both ways. You know, either the revelation of God is in a written code or it's not. Okay, and if it's not, what is it? No, what's the similar? What you might have lost our listeners when you said that if, if you say a similar thing about the New Testament. If I say that the New Testament is not the essence of God, it is not. It's a misnomer. It's not the New Testament. If you see the word testament as a covenant, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. it's not. 
And so there, we have to receive it as a, as a wonderful gift, as, as something that shows us our Lord as counsel from those who have followed him. But if we begin to see it as a confining uh, piece of legislation, we've missed the whole point. And we aren't living like the New Testament church because they didn't even have it. They, that wasn't their approach to God. So whereas Paul is saying, no one's justified by the law, but rather through the grace of Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency to say uh, that we're justified through following the New Testament. Well, we would say we're justified by faith in Christ, but then we are made just practically by following the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But Paul would say justified means justified. It means that you're counted just, but it also means that you're becoming just. Mm -hmm. You're this being is how God makes just. us righteous. Right. And it's by the gospel. Right. So we have been justified. We are being justified. And it is through the same vehicle. It is through the faith and the promise. It is through the gospel that we have been justified. It is by the gospel that we are being justified, being made just people. Mm -hmm. And so as Paul is writing his, his polemic against the Judaizers in Galatians, and in Galatians 5, he says, we are the ones who by faith wait for the hope of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Right, because in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision mean anything. Mm -hmm. Put in any prescriptive law into that into those slots. Mm -hmm. Neither this nor that. Okay, means anything. Mm -hmm. Paul says it's by faith. Faith working through love. To him that was. So if we're really going to follow the New Testament, let's follow the spirit of it. Right. What what the point of it is? What we learn there. Right. And you... so these more colloquial kinds of idiosyncratic instructions when we hold on to them i think that we actually violate the gospel and that's that's the sad irony so that's why i'm saying it's critical that we understand that the gospel is the word of god that we must follow today the gospel is the word of god and the bible is commentary it is on yeah. the word of god right it is the word of god about the word of god but mm -hmm. I, I would say that with that, because someone would say, well, you can't do that because now you're sliding into progressivism and liberalism. And I would say no, because if the gospel is the word of God, we must protect it. It has to retain its, its full potency. We can't amend it to meet modern sensibilities or whatever. It has, it has to hit like it always hit. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's critical. It, it will not provide the spiritual resources that we need if we somehow try to truncate it, dilute it, expand it, stretch it. If we mess with it in some way, it's going to lose its efficacy. And now we're left back to finding, you know, supplemental standards. So if we just talk about the gospel as how you get your sins forgiven, okay, then we've truncated it. And we need the New Testament as a supplemental standard because there's there aren't enough resources in that version of the gospel to lead our lives. Now, no, now, right, right. And your point is that the gospel is not just for getting our sins forgiven, but it's for making us righteous in life. Right. And is there a is there a, a hint at that in John three sixteen that they may not perish but have eternal life? Sure. How do you how do you read that? Perishing versus oh. eternal life in John three sixteen. Well, Back to yeah. our key text. Yeah, well, I'm, I see perishing as perishing, you know, uh -huh. uh, and life as life. I, I, I don't think that Jesus is saying so that they may not be tortured forever, uh, but have eternal life. I, I, I think he's saying that, that life consists of this union with God, this fellowship with God, uh -huh. and that can only 
come through faith and faith only comes through the faith of the son is the only way to live in fellowship with God. And the faith of the son can only be acquired by faith in the son. And so the gospel, the crucifixion becomes that, that thing that awakens and opens our eyes, spiritually speaking, we can look on him and in looking on him, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, that we look, we see him, right? And, and with unveiled face, we look at him. And in looking at his glory, we are transformed into the same image from, from glory to glory. And, and that is that process that he said, we who by faith wait for the hope of righteousness, that we are being transformed in this gaze upon him on his on the cross in his moment of grace and glory and that we see you know the structures of the world that that shape that we talked about that you know that mountain versus a valley kind of shape mm-hmm. that we we embrace the messianic standard that we are called now to um, real humility genuine worship you know Isaiah or Daniel 7 comes becomes fulfilled in us that all the nations worship him right the one who is exalted to God's right hand because of his exaltation, his glorification on the cross, that this depiction of God's glory in a human vessel is um, held up for all time. And so when we see, like Romans 8 says, that he is, he is this propitiation for our sins, you know, uh, one tendency throughout the ages that people have had is to turn the story of of the cross into an excuse for sin and for licentiousness but that's only if we miss what the implications are that he died on the cross because of how horrible sin is because of the pollution that that it is and the poison and the curse it's like telling somebody you know um when they get out of prison or something and you're just like you're free to do anything you want and they're just like great can i have a carton of cigarettes and a stack of porno mags and you know Mm -hmm. and they just go right back in right you know it's just that that is somebody that's just not been redeemed at all Mm -hmm. okay but to but to call that redemption is just insane Mm -hmm. and but that's what the israelites wanted when they said get these snakes out of here Mm -hmm. you know they didn't want redemption they Mm -hmm. just wanted to be protected Mm -hmm. So there you go. He says, no, you're going to have to look on the serpent. And Jesus says, you're going to have to look on the sun mm-hmm. and take that to heart. Exactly. Thanks, everyone, for being with us today. If you got questions, you can email us at discussion at recoverfaith.org. We'll see you next time.